Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Four Down Territory. I am Kyle Madsen, the managing editor of Niners Wire. Joining me, as always, Doug Farrar, the managing editor at touchdownwire.com. And Doug, three weeks down, I'm thrilled with how the season's gone so far. I'm having so much fun. Because uh, you're not with the Denver Broncos. That's a, good, a very good point. Yeah, not a member of the Denver Broncos, at least not yet. I, I, I'm feeling better by the day about my chances of, of actually making that team. So fingers crossed for an open tryout soon. Let's uh, talk about another that's team. Line, baby. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about let's talk about another team that's having a having a slow start to their year, and that's the Chicago Bears. Uh, they've had the the kind of week that's hard to compare to really like any NFL team has had since maybe you know Bobby Petrino ditching the Falcons. Uh, was that back in two thousand seven? So yeah. Justin Fields has a press conference. Let's run through this. Justin Fields has a press conference where he throws his coaches under the bus. But then he had another press conference, an impromptu press conference, where he said, that's not actually what I meant to say. Then defensive coordinator Alan Williams leaves the team under very mysterious circumstances. You get a hundred grand worth of lawn equipment stolen from the facility that may or may not have, have belonged to the club. And then on Sunday, when they finally get to forget all that and just play a game, they get blown out 41 to 10 in a game that was not even that close and a loss to the Chiefs. Fields was also allowed to finish the game after he was very clearly concussed uh, after taking a shot to the head from, I believe it was Willie Gay. It was. So, so that, that, and that happened early in the fourth quarter and, he, and then he finishes the game. So I don't want to you know, bash on Matt Eberflus here after, after such a bad week, but if you're the Bears, do you start making some very serious changes right now or is there some kind of benefit to staying the course? Yeah, Willie Gay, and he was doing the peanut punch. He wasn't trying to hit Fields right, in the right. head. Right, right. Punch everybody in the face. Uh, he was going for the ball, and Fields moved. And But, yeah, he Fields got up like he'd been shot in a Western, and they let him back in because, you know, independent neurological consultant. Mm-hmm. Shout out shout out to DJ Moore, by the way, for being a good teammate there. Right. Grabbing his well, guy and get him off the field. Good Lord, someone had to be. Um <laughs> God, what a mess. The thing about Iberflues is that he really, what really has me thinking that it's time to move on is how bad Chicago's defense is. And Iberflues is a defensive coach. He's been given a pass on that because the offense has been an absolute garbage fire. But here are some relevant stats from the Iberflues era, courtesy of the always awesome Ollie Connolly. Uh, through the Matt Iberflues era, they are dead last in EPA per play, dead last in dropback EPA per play. Dead last in pressure rate, dead last in pressure rate with a four-man rush, dead last in sacks per game, and dead last in yards conceded per coverage snap. Is that that's bad? bad? I think that's bad. Yeah, the whole thing is an embarrassment that makes the Matt Nagy <laughs> seem reasonable, and there's no reason not to make a major change now, except that they don't really have anyone else on the staff with NFL head coaching experience. But I don't know how you keep this going, especially after the ways in which the field situation was mishandled on the field. You know, I just I don't think this guy has control of his own team. And I, you know, it's funny that we were talking about the Cardinals tanking. We're going to discuss it later because they're clearly not. This is as close to a tank, an inadvertent tank where the whole franchise just falls apart that I've ever seen. 
I think you need to sweep it out and just start over for the good of the people that are going to be there, i.e. the players. Yeah, it kind of feels like it. maybe they could just call a former Bears offensive lineman, see what Kyle Long's up to and just hire him. Just do I the Colts. That. Just do the Colts move. Yeah, Kyle, that's great. I did a piece on him back when he was at Oregon. Just an awesome guy. Yeah, terrific, terrific guy. Maybe Olin Kurtz is available too. Just yeah. do the uh, do that. Uh, so here's the part where I advocate for keeping Eberflus. Okay. Because there's two outcomes if they keep him. One, yeah, maybe it works. Everything kind of comes together. Justin Fields starts to progress, and the continuity helps Chicago's defense finish the season on a high note. And then they get another offseason to build out a competitive roster, although I think it's a little bit TBD on if this front office is capable of, of doing that. Uh, then there's option two, where it continues to be an unmitigated disaster. Chicago's in the running for the number one pick, and this is probably the more likely and maybe more preferred outcome. Uh, they ride it out with Eberflus and Fields, and if it doesn't work, they're in a really advantageous spot uh, to kind of shift gears next offseason at, at head coach and at quarterback, and then kind of wipe the slate clean. But they could also fire him and hope for one of those same two options because of what you just laid out. They don't really have any NFL head coaches uh, on their, on their staff. So uh, I think there's something to be said for continuity in the NFL though. So hanging on to the coach might just be prudent to avoid another year of, of a coaching search and more turmoil. And I, maybe you set the team back even further than it, than it is right now. I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying here. Uh, but just in case they, they move on though, can they please step into 2023 and hire an offensive-minded head coach next time, please. Well, please. the Chiefs have an offensive. Oh no! Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I, I'm, I don't Sorry, know how they don't. I, I didn't don't know. want to go there. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The area of Bears wire is going to kill me with her bare hands now. Yikes! With her bare hands, nice. Um, no, I, I just, yeah, I, I you know. I don't know how they keep going with, with Eberflus in the direction both both sides of the ball are going. I, this is just not, it's not a serious football team right now. No, it's and, not. And it's when that nice. happens, you got to make major changes. So, And, you know, I get that if you do that, like, you know, you fire Frank Reich, all of a sudden Jeff Saturday is your coach and you're just, you know, you, the, the search mm -hmm. firm turns into a debacle and I get it, but. Mm -hmm. But you start yeah. losing players and losing fans if yeah. you're, if you're just riding it out and getting <coughs> smoked every week while the team appears to be going backwards. I, I, yeah. I just, if you're going to be a serious organization, you got, you have to make changes when things get this bad. Yeah, back, that, in the 70s, back in the seventies, San Diego chargers had an interim head coach by the name of Don Coriel third week of the season. I'm just saying, not pretty saying good, pretty good coach, pretty, pretty good, good coach. We could hire them. <laughs> uh, moving to an offense that really works. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, <laughs> South Beach, man. Uh, so on Sunday, the Miami Dolphins uh, tied for the third most points in pro football history when they stomped the Broncos 70 to 20. It feels like a typo. I saw it on the ticker, like the Fox or Red Zone ticker or whatever all day yesterday, and 70 just looked fake every time it came up. So and it wasn't that close. They could have done more. Yeah, they got their 70th point with eight minutes left. And they put their backups in well before that. It's crazy. They put so Mike they put a the quarterback and they were running the ball. Yeah. And it's still like Devon H. Chain, good player. They, they put up the second most yards in pro football history with 726. It's behind only the 1951 Los Angeles Rams. Miami's now recorded 1,651 total yards of offense this season in three games. That's insane. 
That's the most in NFL history through the first three games of a season. They're the only team in pro football history to score 10 offensive touchdowns in one game. And only the 1968 Cowboys scored more points in the first three games of a season than the Dolphins 130. So all of those stats in mind and, you know, keeping in mind that recency bias may play a part in this. Is this the best offense you've ever seen in the NFL, Doug? Yeah, by the way, that's 726 yards. I was looking this up today. There are two teams this year, the Tennessee Titans and the New York Jets, who do not have 726 yards in the entire season. Uh, is this the best offense we've ever seen? I think it's as good as any I've ever seen, and it's sustainable. This is not going away. I did a long tape piece over at Touchdown Wire this morning. I just want to look at all the concepts, and you know, when I got the tape, it was like, all right, here we go. This was the breakfast buffet, and it was everything I hoped it would be. There's no real answer to stop them, Kyle. What the Dolphins did to the Broncos in the run game, 350 yards and five touchdowns on 43 carries, should scare the living bejesus out of every defensive coordinator in the league who does not work for the Dolphins. Remember that Mike McDaniel was Kyle Shanahan's run game coordinator. You know this because you're there Mm. from 2017 through 2020, and you start to get the idea. So you got those two guys in a room for four years devising the most evil run concepts in the NFL. And then <laughs> McDaniel attaches it to this unholy vertical passing game. And it's just like, they're, they will throw every run concept in the book at you. And they did in this game because they didn't have Jalen Waddle. He was out with a concussion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their use of motion misdirection rivals Shanahan's needs the best run designer in the NFL. Now you take that run game again and attach it to a passing game that forces defenses to play back, often in too deep coverage, and with at least one safety backpedaling at the snap because the receiver speed is too terrifying to do anything else. What I've seen from the Dolphins this season has me thinking they are a truly evil combination of the Tyree Kill Chiefs with the 49ers run game. And I have no idea how you are possibly going to stop it They're not going to put up 70 every week, but stopping it consistently, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, for me, it's flat out the best offense I've seen. And this is no disrespect to the Bill Walsh 49ers of the of the 80s and 90s and and the Peyton Manning Broncos and the 07 Patriots. But to me, the, the difference is those those teams all had great players and and great quarterbacks and they were they were great for their own reasons but this Dolphins team is not only on the cutting edge of modern offense because of of Mike McDaniel one of the brightest offensive minds in the game and I've, I I and a lot of other people have believed that uh, well before they scored 70 points in a game like that's why the Dolphins hired him but mm-hmm. it's a it's equipped to run a modern offense at a level that teams I just don't think are ready to compete with so Miami is just like a little bit different to me. Like Peyton Manning was just individually unbelievable in 2013. Like there are some good skill position players, but I, I, I genuinely is like Demarius Thomas. And then I can't off the top of my head, think of, of any other players on those teams. Like I'm sure if I sat here and think about thought about it, I could with the, the Tom Brady Patriots. I know it's Wes Welker. I know it's Randy Moss, but I mean, what this Dolphins team is, is like just a little bit different with the amount of speed they have at the skill positions. It's not something that defenses can really prepare for. And we get so wrapped up in X's and O's and, and those things matter a lot as, as, as you break down beautifully on touchdown wire and on X's and O's and all that. 
But sometimes to me, football is easy is as easy as just being bigger and faster than the dudes across from you. And Miami is always going to be faster than the dudes across from them while also working in a scheme led by one of the game's brightest offensive minds. So I think this Miami team is going to change the way that teams play offense and the way they evaluate players really on both sides of the ball. And for now, I just don't know how anybody gets ahead of them. Like I, I, I genuinely, uh, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer for, Hey, this team's going to have you beat schematically. And also just in case you do figure them out, they're just going to be faster than you. And well, it just, yeah. There's so many things to unpack because the two deep stuff, I mean, the Broncos tried that. They played two man, they played cover six, the, the, the 54 yard touchdown to Tyree kill, which everyone's talking, well, why was he so open because he ran a deep over and the deep safety was like, I have to go to depth, which was like the end zone. So <laughs> he ran that over and the other safety clinched down on the, the intermediate route. I mean, it was over. And Sean Payton said today, Monday, um, you know, basically if you make any mistakes with these guys, it's over like yep. any single mistake, it's over. Um, the greatest show on turf Rams were like that because they were so fast and they just went for it. And we've all seen this, like you'll get a, you know, a size guy or a speed guy in an offense. And then, you know, he's a hammer, but nobody wants to use him because they're looking for a chainsaw as, mm-hmm. as a, a hammer. The dolphins sold out on speed and they're using all of these guys. And that's the remarkable right. thing. They are going full bore bullet train million miles an hour all the time. And what's really fascinating, and the more I got into the Broncos game, was the run concepts. And I'm like, yeah, this is Shanahan, but with even more eye candy. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, man. I, I, I have no idea. And maybe somebody figures it out. And by the end of the year, you know, they look more mortal. But as of as of the end of week three, I'm I'm not super convinced that that's going to happen. But well, uh, just to, to go back to like when Patrick Mahomes had all those problems last season with the too high stuff because he mm-hmm. didn't really have a credible run game until Isaiah Pacheco became a thing. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins come off the bus with a run game that will force you out of too deep and a passing game that will force you back into it. Right. It, Again, it feels it feels impossible. It feels like you're guessing. Like you just kind of have to guess how to find coordinator and that, hope you run tighter, into one. Tighter and tighter, and I don't know. Yeah. I got nothing. Uh, so on Sunday night against the Steelers, Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels made the decision to kick a field goal down 23 to 15 with 13 with 315 left in the game. A Steelers penalty negated the field goal try that they made, by the way, and gave the Raiders a new set of downs. Great. Then, after an unsuccessful three-play sequence, the Raiders went to the field goal decision again with 225 left in the game. Yes. Still down eight, mind you. Yep. Uh, Scores the same, same, same score, same score. Nothing changed. Uh, So McDaniel's goes. uh, They are Daniel Carlson. Excuse me. Their kicker makes a field goal again. That gave the Raiders eighteen points to Pittsburgh's twenty-three. Quick math, still down five. Mm -hmm. That's how the game ended. After the game, McDaniel said that his team would need another possession, regardless of whether they kicked the field goal or not, which seemed to betray the fact that the Raiders would have tied the game with a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So, per OptiStats, since the two-point conversion was adopted in 1994, the Raiders are the only team to attempt a field goal in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter when down by exactly eight points with less than five yards to go for a first down or touchdown. So, was this an example of a coaching brain cramp, or was this an indictment of McDaniels and his own offense? 
I actually understand exactly what he was doing. And the only thing I would criticize is that at that point, if you have no faith in your quarterback, you put another quarterback in as Hoyer, or Aiden O'Connell or whoever. Sure. If, if you, but he had no belief in Jimmy Garoppolo at that point. He knew exactly what he was doing. Garoppolo had two passing attempts on the Raiders drive in question at the Steelers eight yard line. Both were wild incompletions. There was an easy gimme swing pass to Devontae Adams that he just flat out missed. Airmail. And a helium ball to Jacoby Myers on a, a pressure that Myers would have had to jump into the stands to catch, like section 132, and hey, it's my ball, <laughs> uh, which would have been obviously out of bounds. So those plays both happened after the Steelers' penalty, and the second one was on third down. The next play was a field goal. I am by no means the president of the Josh McDaniels fan club, but what else were you supposed to do? And now with Garoppolo in the concussion protocol after that game, so he's playing whatever part of the game concussed. So we go back to that whole thing, like, where are these independent neurological consultants again? We need to get one of these guys on Ford on territory and have them ask some questions for us. Yeah, man. Uh, but you can double down on that sentiment of, of, of McDaniel saying, I have no belief that my offense can do this. And, you know, criticize him all you want. He's thinking we get three here. Maybe we come back. Now the Raiders defense doesn't really, you know, it's not like the Raiders defense is great either. He's kind yeah. of stuck either way. Um you know, it's funny because everyone's criticizing Brandon Staley for going for it on fourth down, and now they're criticizing it. It, it, it gets it gets a little out of hand. But my point is, and I wrote about this today, based on the situation, based on what had happened in the fourth quarter and everything leading up to that drive, mm-hmm. I can get three points or I can get no points. He had no faith in Garoppolo's ability to get that ball in the end zone because the thing is everything's compressed and you know this Kyle, because again, you're there and with Jimmy, the middle of the field is always closed. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. So yeah, I get it. I, you know, I don't know what other options he had. So I, I, my, my pushback against that would be, okay, you make the field goal, you get a stop. Now you have to go further to get a touchdown that you didn't think you could get from six yards away. So well, why not just go? It, it's a mess, but I, I I agree with you. I think McDaniel's had had tunnel vision on a field goal because he didn't trust either Garoppolo or or the offense as a whole, or maybe a little bit of both. So his thought process at that point was focused solely on whether his defense could get a stop or maybe a turnover. So the first field goal uh, to me didn't make a ton of sense, but it would have been more justifiable given their three timeouts and the two minute warning. And and, and okay, that makes sense. But once you accept the penalty and you take the three points off the board yeah. when you're already in a fight against the clock. Yeah. When, when you accept that penalty, the field goal is no longer on the table for you. That's and that's, point. and that's okay. That's but, really but then, then, then just take your points and save the time. If you think that you're going to kick a field goal anyway, eventually. So I, I, that was my, I think he got so focused on kicking a field goal. The, the first one, that he wasn't ready to make any other decision after the penalty. So I think that's born from everything you just laid out with his, his mistrust of Garoppolo and, and it's hard to blame him. And it raises the question of why they brought him in to begin with at at the, at the money that they, that they gave him. And, and that's a, you know, whole other thing. So um, this is just kind of a disaster, this decision-making. I think it's a reflection of where that team is at. And that that sequence on Sunday Night Football was just kind of a perfect encap- encapsulation of of their ineptitude to this point of the year. All right, let's move on to fourth down here and wrap this up. So through three weeks of the 2023 NFL season, Doug, 
Tell us about one thing in the league that you don't think is getting nearly enough attention. Uh, Kyle, the Cleveland Browns defense is mm. absolutely preposterous. Yeah. And if Deshaun Watson could maybe uh, not stink about, you know, 25% less, this guy, yeah. these guys would be unstoppable. What the Browns have put together on the other side of the ball under new defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz is pretty ridiculous. Through the first three weeks of the season, and we're doing this right before Monday night, but I'm pretty confident in these rankings uh, either way. The Browns rank first in net yards per passing attempt allowed at 3.5. The NFL average is 5.9. They've allowed 14 first downs in the passing game per team. It's 32.2. They've allowed 2.8 yards per rushing attempt. The NFL average is 4.1. They've allowed one passing touchdown. The NFL average is 3.8. From the fronts of the coverages, the Browns have been the NFL's best defense overall. You may have seen that on Sunday, the Titans were rolling one and two tight ends to Miles Garrett's side of the formation just to give some kind of relief. Uh, oh, by the way, it didn't work. Garrett had four sacks and nine total pressures. But the difference this year is it's not just about Garrett. They have guys everywhere. Zadarius Smith has been an absolute monster. And they're starting to get contributions. And this is a sign of good coaching. They're getting contributions out of lesser guys like Maurice Hurst, Alex Wright. Everything's just coming together. And on the back end, because Schwartz is so good at, at dialing up covered co- concepts that look like one thing and then post that turn into something very much else. They're matching coverage to pressure as well as any team in the league. And again, if they can just have their offense be functional, uh, watch out because that defense is playing at, uh, it's just, it's almost like the dolphins offense where when it's that, you know, it's time to watch that particular tape you just you're you're getting excited. So uh, that's that's one thing I think we need to pay more attention to as the season progresses. Yeah, I'm with you, man. The the Browns defense is is pretty unbelievable and they're super fun to watch. I love a defense that's like you actively like watching them play football. Yep. And with with that pass rush and like you said and, and that in that coverage unit, they are they are I, I think my favorite defense to watch. Um I want to talk about teams that are not going to be necessarily in the playoff hunt. I don't think the Texans and Cardinals are terrible. And nope. this, so, so the Texans go into Jacksonville in week three and beat them. They beat the Jags. They were just, they were, they were better. And I think D'Amico Ryan's doing a really nice job as a head coach. CJ Stroud looks awesome. I believe he was your QB one in this draft yes. and he's very much looked the part. And I just, I think the Texans are going to be a really, really tough out for a lot of teams this year in a way that that we maybe didn't expect. And then the the Cardinals come to mind because they beat Dallas in week three, 28-16. And there was this sentiment of how do the Cowboys lose to the Cardinals? And, and, and I get it. They were 12.5-point favorites. They should have won the game. But it's not like the Cardinals have been abominable. They were right nope. there with Washington in week one, in, in D.C., mind you. And then they were all over the Giants for for... 40 minutes of, yeah. of their, their week two game. Their pass rush is absolutely for real. They have it's a top very good. Dennis Gardick can play. Yeah. Uh, Victor Dumakeji can play. Yeah. Th- that's that's a legitimate, very good pass rushing duo. And then Jonathan Gannon's doing a really nice job with that defense. And then Joshua Dobbs made some really nice throws in yeah. week three. He's, doing, he's making things happen with his legs. You had James Conner in there, and Hollywood Brown is suddenly viable. Michael Wilson, the, the, the rookie from Stanford, uh, had a couple of big plays. And all of a sudden... Like I said, I don't think the Cardinals are going to go win 10 games or something crazy like that, but I think they're going to be a team that we kind of look at by the end of the year and go, oh, they weren't as awful as as we all anticipated. So 
I think that's the case for the Texans. I think it's the case for the Cardinals. Yeah. And when when they start knocking some of these teams off, I think we need to stop talking about it. Like, oh wow, they lost to that awful Cardinals team. Like, no, no, I, I think they can play some. So yeah. those Maybe two teams. We shout out, shout out to them. Cannon's uh, really kind of awkward speech about you know, the fire in your belly and being on the yeah. bus. Maybe it's actually working. Yeah. He's still a weirdo. Don't get it twisted. Well, Jonathan Gannon's still a whole weirdo. Awkward speech. <laughs> let's put it that way. We don't know him. <laughs> might be. I mean, we're weirdos, so you know, we oh, no, no shade, no shade. I'm definitely a weirdo. We're but, a couple uh, of calls on video, and we still yeah. don't know why. But yeah, yeah. No, Jonathan Gannon is doing a, a, a very nice job for sure. So shout out to uh, the Cardinals and Texans for each yeah. getting their first win in, uh, in Week Three. That'll wrap it up for Four Down Territory this week. Make sure to tune in next week as we'll be breaking down Week Four NFL action. That's Doug. I'm Kyle. See y'all next week. Thanks, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.